Off the Bench is a podcast created by ASCLS that will discuss the scientific and not so scientific ideas in laboratory medicine. We are joined by members of ASCLS, fellow scientists, educators, and researchers, along with those interested in the profession. We share ideas and talk nerdy. All right, and welcome back to the Off the Bench podcast. I'm Sophia Chandrasekhar. I'm your host for today. Galena cannot make it. She had some uh, 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 appointments already. So today I am joined again by Dr. Alan Wu, and I will let him reintroduce himself because he has an amazing biography. Well, thank you, Sophia, for having me on this uh, podcast, the second one. Um, I am a professor of laboratory medicine at the University of California at San Francisco. I've been here for 18 years. Uh, prior to that, I was at the University of Connecticut and Hartford Hospital and the University of Texas at Herman Hospital. So I am one of the core lab directors for the Zuckerberg San Francisco General Hospital. It is one of the teaching hospitals for UCSF. Um, we particularly see indigent patients of patients who are not insured, uh, no place to go, uh, homeless, and and really um, what we see uh, everybody who nobody else wants. That's good work, in my opinion. <laughs> so today, so in the first podcast, we talked about your almost like case studies for the public sort of uh, short story books. Today, we are going to talk about your speculative science fiction book, Mind Portals. So to start us off, what is speculative science fiction? Yeah, so it is obviously a genre of, of the overall um, niche of science fiction. You know, sometimes science fiction could be fantasy, uh, but uh, speculative science fiction is based on time travel. Somebody goes back into time, changes um, something that happened in history, and in doing so, uh, changes the trajectory of the people who were involved and perhaps the general public as well. And uh, so the speculation is sort of what if? What if somebody had done this or that? Somebody um, had um, prevented the Titanic from sinking and hitting that iceberg in 1912 and somebody on board that that ship uh, who was killed ended up becoming president of the United States. So, you know, anything can happen. And um, that's what uh, is fun about it is it's science fiction. So it's obviously not something we can do today. We can't go back. We can't change history. But what if you could? I personally find that as a genre, a really fun read. So I've actually started reading Mind Portals and I can see how I can I can see how Mind Portals is nothing but speculative fiction. And it's a really fun read for those of you who haven't read it. I highly recommend reading it. Um, but I will let Dr. Wu actually tell you more about Mind Portals instead of just me going on about how good of a read it is. Well, um, you know, there's a lot of sci-fi, a lot of time travel television programs uh, over the course of the last uh, decade, and even before, um, if those of you who are Trekkies, the original Star Trek had several back to the future, or I guess time travel type of episodes where they interact with people from the past. And it is always one of my, has been always one of my favorite uh, uh, episodes. And I've sort of taken, however, the next step. I've made a couple of changes that um, make what I wrote a little bit different from anything else that's out there. Number one, um, whereas most of the time travel shows are based on real history and events that people already know, I already mentioned the Titanic uh, sinking. Um, <clears throat> The, uh, the twist that I bring is the lab medicine focus. Since most of the people out there don't know what lab medicine is all about anyway, they're certainly not going to know about how lab medicine might have affected the lives of important people in the past. And so I bring my 
I call unique knowledge of lab medicine and review cases of people who have died in history who could have perhaps benefited from our modern day lab medicine knowledge. And from there, I speculate. Do you have a particular, like, like a favorite story that you've written or one you'd be willing to share from my portals? Of course. Uh, so I will tell you about Jackie Kennedy. Uh, so Jackie, obviously, most people know, was uh, the widow of John F. Kennedy, who was assassinated in November of 1963. So the other thing about Mind Portal and any speculative science fiction is that you have to sort of know or understand or appreciate history. Now, the JFK assassination is a no-brainer. Most people know what happened. He was a very charismatic president, and he had a lot more to give. Well, but this is not about JFK. There's been a lot of speculative science fiction about JFK. What would have happened had he lived? Instead, I focus on Jackie. So Jackie, what most people don't know is that she had four pregnancies. The first one was not Caroline, was a, uh, a girl who died, who was born, stillborn. She had died in utero, mm. very tragic. Then it was Caroline who is alive today and, and was the former um, um, United Nations ambassador to Japan. Then we all know, I think, or most of us know the tragic story of John John, who uh, had his uh, plane crash in uh, the flying to Nantucket for a wedding. But there was a fourth child, a fourth child who lived only 38 hours. His name is Patrick, and he was born in the summer of 1963. So again, the history shows that four or five months later, the president is assassinated. So this was going to be the last child. Mm -hmm. uh, Jackie is um, in her last stages of pregnancy and she is having some um, pregnancy complications such that her obstetrician suggested that it would be in her best health interest to have a delivery. And so they scheduled a delivery. Unfortunately, Patrick Kennedy developed respiratory distress syndrome, fetal respiratory distress syndrome. Back in 1963, there was not a lot you could do about um, treating those infants and he died. Uh, so I create a character. His name is Amit. He is a lab director like me. He has a wealth of experiences with the clinical laboratory, but he has this unique ability of ESP. He can implant ideas into brains of people, making them perhaps do things that they wouldn't think of doing, or perhaps even know things that they might not know. And I think there are people that are like that, mm -hmm. that can read into somebody's eyes and transmit ideas and it becomes their own. That's not science fiction. Mm -hmm. What's science fiction is that my title character can do ESP, implant ideas into people's brain of those who have already died that they have already lived and done what they were going to do. But in my book, he is able to implant the idea while they're still alive and therefore change their behavior and knowledge. And in doing so, if it's to somebody particularly notable, change the course of history. All right, so Amit goes into his mind portal and another twist of my um, book is that he physically does not go back into time. He does not see Jackie. He doesn't. He's not back in 1963. Most time travel, you know, you have to figure out. Well, how did they actually go back in time? Well, I don't do that. 
It's just through his brain. So he is implanting ideas into Jackie's obstetrician and telling him, you need to reconsider delivering Jackie's baby today. He is going to have medical problems. You need to consult this doctor, Dr. Mary Avery of nearby Hopkins University Medical Center. Now, this is all true. Mary Avery, back in 1963, was pioneering studies on amniotic fluid, looking for ways to predict respiratory distress syndrome. Now, there was no laboratory test back then. That was to come a few years later. There was, uh, there will be laboratory tests that we are doing every day now, and children, newborns, don't die of respiratory distress syndrome. And she pioneered this work. So the obstetrician um, contacts Mary. She comes to um, Jackie's bedside, collects some amniotic fluid. They were doing amniocentesis back then. And she does a very simple test, a laboratory test that predicts respiratory distress syndrome. The way it works is that if you look at amniotic fluid and it has surfactants like dishwashing liquid, it will reduce the surface tension of that fluid, enabling the neonatal lung to breathe. The, the lungs of a newborn premature child will collapse if it does not have amniotic fluid that is laced with surfactants. And so you can do a pretty easy physical test for surfactants. Surfactants decrease the surface tension of fluids. So imagine this, Sophia, you put a drop of water onto a freshly waxed car. What happens? It, it beads up. It beads up, right. And why is it that a mosquito can land on a drop of fluid and not sink? Surface, surface tension. tension. All right. You add a little bit of dishwashing liquid. What happens? The, the droplet can now be spread because you reduce the surface tension. So mm. she does this uh, onto Jackie O's amniotic fluid, convinces the obstetrician that there's not enough surfactants. This child is going to have respiratory distress syndrome. The remedy is actually quite simple. Delay the pregnancy, delivery. Don't deliver that child by C-section today. Wait another day, two, three days. Give nature a chance for Patrick to develop maturity. He, she does this. She agrees. The, the boy is born three days later. He no longer has respiratory distress syndrome. He lives. And then comes the speculation. This is 1963, okay? So fast forward to the year 2016. So Patrick is now in his 50s. His brother has died. He is now the heir apparent to the Kennedy clan and the political fortunes. He runs for the presidency in 2016, wins the Democratic um, nomination instead of Hillary, it is Patrick. He runs against Donald Trump, and you can go any which way from there. I decide that he wins the election. And this story was written actually during 2016, during the election. So I didn't know when I wrote the story he was going to win. Mm -hmm. But today we can say, okay, maybe there is no January 6th attack on the Capitol. Mm -hmm. 
maybe the justices of the Supreme Court are not the ones that we have today. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Maybe we don't have a reversal of Roe v. Wade. All of these things, incredible events that have taken place in the last just even a few months mm -hmm. might all be very different if, if Jackie Kennedy agrees to have her pregnancy delivery delayed by three days and because of information generated by a clinical laboratory test. So this is my way of promoting clinical lab testing, which was the focus of our first podcast, mm -hmm. but in a slightly different way, in a, in a way that, well, gee, you know, look at all the things that we can do that people are taking for granted today. We don't have respiratory distress syndrome. We used to call it high limb membrane disease. You know, you talk to a medical student today and they will not even know what those three words mean mm -hmm. because we don't see it today. It's because of the developments of Dr. Avery, who nobody knows. And to some extent, I am making her the hero of that story because she is the hero. Right. Oh, I love that so much. And I guess, so with these stories, how do you choose the path? How do you come up with these stories and these speculative uh, science fiction timelines? Yeah. So again, um, you have to be a student of history and I can tell you it is likely that you and your audience, as you grow older, you will become more of just that. You will become more interested in history. I had no use for history in school. I wanted to be a scientist. I wanted to be a doctor. And I didn't think history was important. Today, I'm a student of history, not in my day-to-day -day job, but as kinds of things that I like to read, the TV shows that I like to watch. You know, I like documentaries. I like biographies. I like history. So number one, you got to like history. Number two, uh, there is a medical conference that's being held at the University of Maryland every year. They skipped a couple during the pandemic. I've never been to this conference. It's called the Historic CPC. Now, a CPC stands for a Clinical Pathological Correlation, and it's a conference that's held every year um, in Maryland. And the unique part of this CPC is that they're not dealing with current cases like most CPCs are. We have CPCs in our hospital. I'm sure you do in yours. Mm -hmm. They invite experts, medical historians to opine about alternate theories of death by famous people. And they spend the whole hour presenting the evidence as to why we think the cause of death in history was wrong. So let me give you another example. I won't tell you the speculative science fiction part, but everybody believes that Franklin Delano Roosevelt had polio. Mm -hmm. He was uh, swimming in a lake in 1921, came back, was uh, paralyzed from the, from the leg down, waist down, and that remained throughout his entire life. Well, you can read, and this is not things that I've written, um, speculation that he had, in fact, Guillain-Barre's disease, which is an autoimmune oh. disease that produces the same symptoms. It produces paralysis. <laughs> and that there is a key laboratory test that could have been done in 1921 that differentiates between these two diseases. It's a test that every hospital does every day, dozens of times a day. It's a spinal fluid protein. And we were doing spinal fluid taps back then. So imagine this, doctor gets this knowledge, FDR's personal physician, he does a spinal tap, sends it to the lab, they find a high protein <clears throat> that's indicative of Guillain-Barre, 
or a low protein indicative of polio. And my title character teaches them this. So it comes out high. He says it's probably this disease. Now, Guillaume-Barre, named after these two French doctors, they coined that disease and published on it decades earlier. So this was not a new disease to them. Mm -hmm. And in fact, Georges Guillaume is still practicing in Paris. Wow. And so you're dealing with uh, a person of means, of wealth. Uh, Eliz uh, <clears throat> Eleanor is, you know, the uh, niece of uh, Teddy Roosevelt. They contact Guillaume to come to um, New York and set a course of treatment that changes FDR's personal history. And that's all I'll say. From there, so many other things could change. That's because FDR. Yeah. That oh man. Just just thinking about that just makes you want to just think even more, just like, but what if and what if and what if? And actually, from what you told us last time, what if this movie is actually being or sorry, this movie, this book is being turned into a movie. Yeah, so um, in my last podcast, I talked about a television show because there are just too many stories to tell and too many arcs that we have to, um, to, to relay. And I don't think we can do it in a one and a half hour movie. I want this Definitely to be occurring. This is science fiction. Science fiction needs a beginning and an end. We want to know that this is the end of the story. So obviously I'm not gonna be able to tell the 20 or 30 stories that I have in my book. I have selected a few. And, but unlike my book where it is about just one person and that person has this ability, but his character doesn't change and his um, objectives are always the same. In this movie that we're writing, and I'm working with a screenwriter, or three quarters finished, um, the title character, Emit, undergoes a transition. And he also undergoes a motive for doing these things. It's not just fiddling around. It's not just trying to promote lab medicine. He's actually trying to save his daughter who dies of leukemia. Oh. And he's trying to figure out a way to change history so that the therapies that are available now would be available to him in history when his daughter needs it. And he doesn't know at the time that knowledge when his daughter was suffering, but he's hoping to change his own personal history. So that's how that story goes. Oh, that's that sounds like such a good, like, a plot kind of movie, like movie plot. That, that just sounds very exciting. And so you said you're like three quarters away uh, through writing the script right now, right? I am. Well, we so, are. So like what what's the difference and what's the process of, I guess, turning your stories into a movie? Aside from writing the script, like what else do you need to do? Well, the hardest part uh, is to get an audience for the script. Mm. Uh, it, that at least is easier than trying to pitch an idea. Pitching ideas requires so much more. And I mentioned in my previous podcast that I'm open to talking to people who might be connected uh, with a script. And I still need connections, but at least there's something tangible, uh, something that can, can really give you an idea of what we're trying to achieve. I have no um, expectation that it's going to be accepted without extensive rewrites and ghostwriting and and alterations. This is uh, how Hollywood works. They they get an idea if they read it in a, in a uh, script and they like the premise, then the fun uh, takes place. They they can uh, fiddle with it. They can start making it 
even more dramatic, perhaps even more compelling. Um, I don't know what young audiences want today. I can only tell you what I see. And some of it's not good, you know, lots of sex, lots of violence, horror. Um, <clears throat> but uh, maybe some of my storylines have to um, intertwine on some of those themes if I'm going to be able to sell it. Mm. So I guess comparing this to your uh, TV, like your your script writing and your um, show Bible for your, your TV show, do you find one to be simpler than the other or does one make more sense to you? Do you prefer one over the other or are both just equally like two different tasks or different projects? Yeah, I'm treating them as different projects. I have different people working on each project. Mm -hmm. The uh, television show is much more involved many more documents that are needed like you said the show bible the storylines the arc even just the pilot you have to condense everything that you hope to achieve in a pilot to entice people to tune in again and you don't have time to do very much so mm -hmm. you really have to pick and choose the good news is i have much more content in in my regular tv show I have six other books, whereas Mind Portal is just a single book with a dozen with a couple of dozen stories. So it doesn't lend itself to a TV show. I don't think that uh, we can continue. I mean, I think it's novel when you first see it um, and you've begun reading it. But I think what you'll find with a couple of stories of exception, that it becomes cookie cutter. It becomes, OK, he goes, he, he finds somebody, he changes their their uh, existence and then new things happen and the fun part is to read about what the new things that might happen but it's the same arc and mm -hmm. it uh, might get um, repetitive because it's it's not different and what I've learned with talking to my uh, script writer is that it has to be a story the the movie itself has to have a start and a finish it mm -hmm. can't just be ongoing and so she's helping me create um, a storyline for the title character, which doesn't exist in my book. My book is really mm -hmm. more about the science and medicine, as you've seen. Yeah. Well, is, is the storyline, I mean, the, the individual cases about uh, changing history enough for you mm -hmm. for now? I, I think so, at least for me, I personally enjoy that because I, the way I've been reading this is when I've read each of these stories i will read it and then i'll sort of like marinate on it and i'll think about well if this happened then this might happen and this might happen and one of those examples so so far in the book my favorite um that i've mentioned to you is my favorite story so far is the triangle uh shirt factory case because it it's the idea of one little thing, one thing for one person, be a celebrity, be it a normal person that can change so many things. Um, and I, I can definitely see how some of the stories are a little like, you know, after a while it is like, you know, someone is saved, good comes out of it. Someone is saved. Like, and, and I, I personally appreciate that a lot of your speculative science fiction timelines are more positive. You know, there's enough of negativity and just, doom and gloom and 1500,000 dystopian novels out there. Let's be honest. There's so many, you can throw a stone and instantly hit at least five right in a bookstore. Um, so I appreciate the much more positive spins on the alternate universes. Um, so I, I think personally as a TV show, uh, I can see how as a TV show, it would be much harder the, compared to the case studies right? Mind Portals itself is going to be an amazing movie, in my opinion. I can see how you can easily tie quite a few of these stories together as test trials that Amit goes through. And I can see how some of these, you know, depending on who he saves, right? Or depending on who is saved, how that would affect um, life as we know it today. Uh, especially the one with... Um, because I don't want to spoil it for people, right? Um, <laughs> but like the Henry VIII story, 
right? Just, just the changes that emit sees in his room right afterwards. I was like, oh yeah, like, you know, I didn't think about that, but all those cause and effects down the line, I can see that more in a movie sense. And I, I think it's also more dramatic, which I think also makes for better movies. What do you think? Oh, yeah. Thank you for, for those comments. Uh, it's, it's great to, to see somebody who gets what I'm trying to do um, from not just the, uh, the science part, but from the uh, storytelling that it's, uh, you don't have to be a scientist. I mean, will you agree? You don't really need to know lab science to appreciate the, the content. Definitely. Uh, my husband is a computer engineer and he's actually enjoying the books a lot. Like he's, he's reading over my shoulder and like going like, Hey, Hey, wait, 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 go back, go back. Like I wasn't quite done yet with that page. Right. And he's, he, his favorite genre actually in science fiction, one of his favorite genres is speculative science fiction because he thinks that, you know, trying out these, what if alternate realities based off of, I don't want to call it butterfly effect because in this case it would be a laboratory test effect, right? Just one laboratory test can trigger so many things down the line, which again, readers or listeners is why you should also be a reader of mind portals because it will take you down these like these huge mind span, like mind expanding um, thoughts of, or like it, alternate plots almost, right? Like what if, what if? So I, I want to sort of, put in a plug for, uh, because you mentioned your husband and, and he's, a, he's in tech. Um, <clears throat> I presume that you have already read iBrain. And yes, that is about Stephen Jobs. So those yes. of you who are in tech will, I think, really appreciate that because maybe you've even seen him in person when, you know, he had his uh, Apple conventions here. Uh, <clears throat> so I recreate his history. And then something else that was an uh, offshoot was um, I wrote, wrote a number of stories and the Triangle Shirt Factory is one of them where the arc is about the contribution of women, of women mm -hmm. who have been behind the scenes um, <clears throat> that um, th there's the one about the pap smear where we know um, the famous uh, inventor, but what I didn't know was he was driven by his wife. His oh. wife was very much involved with the discovery of the pap smear, and that's lost in history. Um, oh. Ava Perón, the uh, president uh, in uh, South America, what a dynamic person she was, more so than than anybody they've, they've ever had or have had since. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, all we know about Ava is a musical. And that cuts her legacy quite short. Mm -hmm. So these are um, opportunities for me to uh, highlight achievements of people who have not been given that credit. Mm. I like that. I yeah, I can see. I can definitely see how you do that in your in your stories. Going back to the Triangle Shirt Factory, just bringing up the the um contributions that inez the one of the lawyers what she could have contributed if she had survived long enough to see things through and actually do things um instead of unfortunately dying very prematurely in my opinion and you know it's it's uh, also a stimulation for for the young reader to say uh that um you know my my life and my contributions matter mm -hmm. and that it's uh, incumbent on me to uh to achieve that and, and here are stories of people who didn't achieve what they could have and um because of this or that and so if anything it it's meant to um to motivate to to say that uh you know we're all here for a very short time and and there is a plan for all of us and some of it's not good and some of it is and we don't know who is going to do what and we can't based on our own personal history of what we've done and where we've been because that can change mm -hmm. and maybe this could be um a uh, intersection for change in your own personal life 
So what you're saying is the book itself might also be the laboratory test that then affects the future many, many years down the line for some people too. <laughs> I never thought of it that way, but you know, we're talking and we're, we're just kind of jamming here and yeah, and, uh, I don't think that's uh, so false. Definitely. So I have some other questions for you that I meant to send to you, but I completely forgot. And I do apologize. Uh, one of the questions I want to ask was you had mentioned last time that as part of your script writing and your coaching for uh, turning this into a movie and even your books into TV shows, one of the things you have to do is sort of pre-cast or have an ideal cast member for some of your characters. For your main character, Amit, do you have a ideal cast or like an ideal actor who would play him? Well, um, I can tell you that in the in the book, it's about an a senior lab director like myself. I'm I'm in my uh, latter years, and uh, and whose wife had already my wife's not died, but but Emmett's character's wife had passed, and his kids are out of the house, and um, you know he has time and and no connections to do these kinds of things. My scriptwriter says no, we, we need to make this person younger. We need to have this person not complete his voyage, but to be on the voyage, to be still learning and still um, <clears throat> contributing and, and generating and, and have, like she says, uh, uh, a journey, that this is a story of his journey, not so much a story of lab medicine's journey, <clears throat> which was a different perspective than I had. So you ask an important question. I don't have an answer right now. I don't know who that person would be. And, and I don't even know if it is male or female. I do know in my other TV show, it is clearly going to be a strong female. That we've already established. This one, I haven't. Mm. Do you have? Do you happen to have an ideal actress for your strong female character in um, uh, your TV show? Um. <clears throat> Actually, I do. Uh, her name is Mindy Kaling. Ah, uh, oh, yes. She was on The Office, and she's got her own TV show about a doctor. I don't particularly like that show. I forget the name of it. She's a little goofy. Uh, and, and, you know, she's played comedic roles. She's an incredible writer, um, very talented actress, a, a woman of color to begin with, somebody who's clearly intelligent. She could be my admit. I like that. I actually like that a lot. Ah, oh. <laughs> I, I, I love her stuff. So I'm personally a fan of that choice. Um, reader. Oh, sorry. I keep saying readers, listeners who become readers. Uh, you guys should definitely at least, you know, drop us a line on Facebook underneath the comments for this, or, you know, uh, send me a tweet or something or send ASL, ASCLS a tweet about who you think, um, the characters should be or who you think an ideal actor or actress would be for any of these characters, you know, read the books and let us know. Um, another question I had for you is that while Mind Portals is more speculative science fiction, um, what sort of test methodology or medical instrument or medical magic is your favorite in overall science fiction? Like, for example, mine is the tricorder, because in my opinion, that's both amazing. It's somehow does can do all of your medical tests in one go, like just a, a simple like, you know, wavy of your arm, but also at the same time, I love it because I think it's hilarious because I can't help but wonder how much radiation that also puts out to be able to do that sort of testing to fit in your pocket. So that's, that's my favorite for just being so silly. What is yours? If you have any. Well, it's, it's not that far-fetched, uh, the tricorder. Um, <clears throat> I'm actually doing research for companies that have, um, <clears throat> so I've coined a new phrase in one of my papers about six years ago. So everybody knows the word in vitro, in mm -hmm. vitro diagnostics. What that means is that we're doing it outside the body. We're doing it in a test tube. Uh, <clears throat> in vivo means doing it within the body. So it's the implanted sensor, say. Uh, ex vivo is a term that refers to testing of like uh, organs in petri dishes. You know, it's outside the body, but it's still an intact organism, ex vivo. So you have in vitro, in vivo, ex vivo. So six years ago, 
I coined the phrase and I did a uh, search to see if anybody else had ever used it and, and, and it hasn't. So I hope one day somebody will acknowledge that I coined the phrase for the first time. It's called on vivo, O-N vivo. So these are our sensors that are worn and we have examples of this. The pulse oximeter is mm -hmm. an on vivo device. No sample is taken. It's just taking readings, mm -hmm. optical or electrical readings through the skin and giving you lab results. We are there. We have on vivo devices. We've been doing bilirubin tests. We've been doing um, co-oximetry. We've been doing end-title uh, CO2s. And, and there are other devices that I can't really talk about because they're still proprietary mm -hmm. that are going to be a little science fiction that, uh, yeah, wave a wand, wave a tricorder, get lab results. Oh, Maybe that's not exciting. science fiction anymore. <laughs> that's a crazy world. So, ah, so like, do wait, so do you have it like any aside from a tricorder or like these things are actually close to being a tricorder? Do you have any other things that you really like or? Is it just trying to make something like a tricorder come to life? Well, uh, I am not a uh, inventor. I'm not a discoverer. I, I learned very early that I'm an implementer, implementer that uh, I don't have the um, ability or, or maybe even patience to, um, to uh, discover new pathways mm -hmm. or new, new genes or or new um, 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 proteins. I do leave that up to other people, but when it comes to putting it into practice, which I think is uh, underappreciated, not by you all, but by everybody else, you know, you can have a great idea, but if it doesn't have any medical applications, then it's so what? You know, mm -hmm. we're not here making tools. We're mm -hmm. here solving medical problems and using tools in doing so. So this is what I do. So it's not sexy. It's, uh, you know, my kids don't, didn't understand what I did for many years when they were teenagers. Um, I'm sure you probably have similar uh, stories. Of, <laughs> Mom, what do you do? You know, well, I don't get what you do. Uh, so it, it is an unfortunate part of our profession that uh, we are underappreciated because um, people don't understand what we do. And that is part of our problem is that we don't promote ourselves. Number one, we're not, we don't have that personality to promote ourselves. Um, and even when we try, the other end gets frustrated easily about trying to understand. And it's a lot easier for us to just say, you know, you don't have to understand exactly what we do. Just uh, appreciate that that what we do is important, and that uh, you know that we're dedicated towards it, and leave it at that. And that is what we do. You know, when when somebody says explain this or explain that, it's oftentimes too hard. I personally have my own elevator pitch, and it's very short. It's you know, your blood gets drawn and it gets sent to that lab. I am that lab. I am the black box. That's that's all I tell people because you're right. It's very hard for us to, I feel like it's hard for us to explain what it is, is we do because there's so many elements to it, right? But if they can appreciate at the end of the day, I think, I think, yeah, I think that's all that matters. As long as they can appreciate what we do. And so, you know, the alternate answer, which is obviously a lot more detailed and, and requires uh, attention is to say, you know, we had this case, we looked under the microscope, we saw a lot of white cells. And because of our analysis, we were able to determine on this little child that she had leukemia and that we needed to do this or that, that it was mm -hmm. our lab result that made the difference. This is what we do. It's not, you know, a black box. It is real and indispensable. And uh, when I say it that way, then ears perk up. They say, oh, wow. Yeah. What you do is, a, is important. We are saving lives, even though we don't see patients. That's very good advice. And I'll actually probably try to incorporate that for sure into my I get, elevator. Speech. I get royalties yeah. on every time you say it. <laughs> I'm not entirely sure how to pay you on that. I can pay you in like small pictures and doodles. Maybe, maybe I can help you. I don't know. Uh, do your character designs. I can You're help you there. 
You're already paying me back. <laughs> uh, I'm glad to hear. Uh, all right, another question for you, actually. If you had the one-time powers of a MIT, what's one test or information you would have liked to send back in time to alter history? Wow, that's a tough one. Um, <clears throat> I'd have to think about it as we talk. Uh, I mean, I, I cover so many different parts of uh, lab medicine that it's hard for me to just like trying to pick your favorite kid, you know, it's, uh, uh, <clears throat> so, so we'll just say that whatever you pick, it's, we're not saying that it's your favorite. It's just one of many possibilities. Okay. Well, it's, it's, uh, <clears throat> uh, not so much of a test, but a, um, uh, the, uh, an observation as a result of that test. Okay. And, and it's not in your mind portal book. Okay. So you will not even see it in, in, until you get a hold of my next book. Okay. Called, um, it deals with the Salem witch trials of the mm -hmm. 1600s in okay. Massachusetts. We all know that there were women who were accused of witchcraft and that they were um, hung or not hung, but burned at the stake, you know, because they were a little crazy at times. There is now evidence to suggest that they were eating um, um, moldy food that might have led them to hallucinate that it was just, um, you know, poor preparation of uh, food that uh, <clears throat> that led to uh, led to their, their demise. And, and we have tests for that, obviously, um, microbiological tests that can determine that wasn't being done back then. So again, something very simple. And, and again, the solution is, you know, don't eat moldy bread. I mean, I don't eat moldy <laughs> bread. If it's got green on it, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> that is always good advice. Do not eat the green eggs and ham. That's, <laughs> that is not an actual thing you should eat. Um, what is something that you'd like for both lab people and non, actually both lab and non-lab people to take away from your books specifically? Well, again, at the end of the day, um, <clears throat> look at how lab testing affects everybody's day-to-day -day lives today, yesterday, and tomorrow. That uh, um, <clears throat> we have um, always been there and will continue to be there if um, the powers to be continue to support us. Well, thank you again so much, Dr. Wu, for speaking to us or speaking to me and our listeners about Mind Portals and honestly, everything about all this stuff. It's been an amazing talk. I'd like you to promote your books again, if you don't mind, because I, I think everyone definitely should check them out. And not only should lab people check it out, I think the lab people should then share those books with their families and friends to help them get a better understanding of what it is we do and also just have a better appreciation and just, you know, love for it. So Dr. Wu, can, where can we get your books? So they are all available on amazon.com. Um, you just need to type in my full name, which is Alan H.B. Wu, and um, you can uh, hopefully find them. Uh, I actually do have my own webpage. It's Alan H.B. Wu. Um, .com, where at least the first five books are there. I haven't updated it yet with the three latest books, but uh, um, once you get online, you can see. Uh, and that website also has these mini um, synopses of all of the stories I've written in those five books. Uh, so you can kind of get an idea for the scope of uh, topics that I cover. I really do cover anything that I can think of. And, uh, and there's always more to be done. So alanhbwoo.com. And is there any particular order that you'd recommend people read the books in? They're not connected. Uh, they are all standalone. Um, I can tell you that the toxicology book is uh, sells all of them because of the, the um, appetite that the country has for 
danger, for crime, for death, for you know maladies. Um, and so not only do I talk about drug testing, but I also talk about drug abuse, which necessarily comes with that. I mean, it's important lessons that we all need to have, but it's only a small part of what we do. And I don't want people to think that that's all we do. You know, there's plenty of shows on autopsy deaths and, and cause of deaths. And that's not what this book is about. Uh, it's about testing and how the testing affects these different cases. But some of these cases are pretty horrific. Um, there was a uh, uh, um, ultimate fighter who um, was uh, uh, hallucinogenic on, on shrooms. You know what shrooms are. Mm-hmm. And um, he's celebrating after a victory and he attacks his agent and rips his heart out. He has his beating heart in his hand. Okay, again, this is sensationalism. This is uh, what people want to see in, in horror. The only difference is this really happened. And I was involved in that case. I had to do the testing to prove that he was on these mushrooms. And, and it, was, it was so horrific that um, many of my family members won't read the story. That is, that's, actually, that's, mm, yeah, that's, that's a lot. That's, that's definitely a lot. And then there was this nurse who is practicing in New England and um, is overdosing her patients with epinephrine in, <gasps> on the third shift. And um, because she uh, likes the thrill of death, again, true story, she's now, you know, serving 25 years. Terrifying, absolutely terrifying. So basically, if you guys are wanting to read more, go read his books. He's got it all there, right? Go to Amazon, look up Alan H.B. Wu, buy his books, read them. You'll enjoy them and be sure to share them. So again, Dr. Wu, thank you so much for joining us today. And is there a way people can contact you? Well, my email address is alan.wu at ucsf.edu. I love to hear from you. I will answer each and every one of your emails. I I don't think that it will be uh, a chore for me to do that. Um, You know, I saw a documentary on Arnold Palmer, and many of you know who he is. He's a a famous golfer. He died a few years ago. Um, Very beloved. In my day, he used to have Arnie's Army. These are fans that used to follow him along in the golf course. And in this documentary, he said that he read each and every letter that he got from his fans and they were thousands but he took the time because he believed that uh, that the fans who took the time to write to him owed a response now mm-hmm. it's a lot easier these days to respond to email than it is to open a letter and write a letter back but he was able to do that that's kind of inspired me to say i will never not respond to somebody that's actually really inspirational. I do love that a lot. And if you want to hit me up, I am, uh, you can hit me up at Twitter at warbler underscore works or on Instagram at warbler.works. And we will tune again, tune in again with you guys next month. So we'll see what we've got then. Until then, uh, stay safe and enjoy. Have a great time. Bye, listeners. Bye.